Hey, everybody. Welcome to True Crime Paranormal. I'm Christy here with my co-host, Katie Weaver. Hey, guys. Nice to be here with you all today on this lovely Monday morning, as we <laughs> like to say, because that's when the show airs. Right. And this is show number three for us. It's it getting sure kind of starting to get in a groove, I think. I think so. I know. It's exciting, actually. As soon as the last show is over, I'm d- digging into our next topic because it's just... Me too. Sometimes I'm, I'm like, maybe we it. should do more than one a week, but you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we should. Yeah. I've wondered we'll about to, it. We'll have to wrestle our schedules and see if we can come up the winner. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and but, make it happen. Yeah. But I totally agree with you that the, the, the research is really fun. It's also really fun hearing from you in our chat group about how mm-hmm. much you're enjoying the show and because we're really enjoying the show. So we hope you are because we're having a blast. We are. Yeah. Definitely are. Well, and I hope you guys know, however you're listening, that this program does air in a few different ways. So Yes, it does. You know, via podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on TuneIn. I believe there's a few others, mm-hmm. you know. and wait, there are, We're slowly time. migrating into a bunch of them. It just it takes yeah. a while. It takes a minute. But we also live stream this we make a video of this event and we upload it to our youtube channel which is true crime paranormal with the psychic sisters over on youtube you can always watch it that way as well if you would rather see our smiling faces or not whatever right (laughs) depending on where you are and how you're going to do it it doesn't matter but we do like to put it out that way you know i find it interesting that just nearly as many people that listen to the podcast watch the video so yeah I think yeah. we've landed on something here. People like that a lot. Uh-huh. Yeah, like that. Like that way. And you and I have both done, a mil- you know, live streams on Facebook for a million years. So it's been yes. no we big have. deal to uh, create, right, to pro- add, you know, to create media this way for us. So, yeah, to add the video in. It's a lot of fun. It well, is great. If you yeah. tuned in last week, we did the Sister Slayings, which is the mysterious murders of Patri- Patricia and Barbara Grimes. If you mm-hmm. didn't listen to that one, definitely go back and listen. And our first episode was the Dyatlov Pass incident, what really happened. So, you know, if you're just joining us for the very first time, you're going to want to go back and listen to the first two episodes because we, <laughs> we hit on some pretty interesting stories, I think. Oh, yeah. Yes, we did. Pretty wild stuff. Yeah, I, there are so many wild stories like this. It's like we could do this podcast for a thousand years and still not tell all the stories because there are so many. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, and we, we have our chat group. So you can find our chat group on Facebook. It's True Crime Paranormal uh, Discussion Group. Mm-hmm. And if you ask to join that, we post every time a new episode comes up, then we post a thread for that so you can come in and you can discuss it tell us what you think about it ask questions that kind of thing we also really appreciate in there that we have people suggesting cases that we discuss and so uh-huh. we will be doing that so if you have something you really want us to get into and talk about we totally will do that so definitely you know check in with us and and let us know if there's something that you've always wanted to hear the research done on and we'll do it oh absolutely absolutely that's It makes it that much more fun because sometimes you guys know of things that we don't know. So it's fun to hear from you what you're thinking about or what you're curious about, for sure. Yeah. 
it is. It is. So I'm, I'm excited about that aspect because we, we'll never find them all. You know, it's great to kind of be a team effort. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh yeah. We'll never find them all <laughs> ever, no. but, but maybe but. that's why we might not want to make this a little more often. I don't know. I don't know. I don't that know. makes we'll me, see. my wheels are now turning. So I, I know mine too. We shall see. Yeah, we shall. Today, we are going to talk about Malaysia Flight 370. You guys all know this story. This was a very famous story. It was all over the news for a long period of time. But we're going to tell the story of what happened and some of the things that we know. Um, I will tell you that the information about this is huge. There's so much of it, and it's confusing and conflicting. And so I'm going to give you the basics and some of the things that I found particularly interesting, we're going to talk about the theories about what could have happened because the plane has still never been found. This happened in 2014. It actually happened on March 8th, 2014. So it was just barely the six-year anniversary of this um, plane going missing mm-hmm. uh, last week on Sunday. So, Or this week, I guess, yeah. on Sunday. Yeah. Well, no, because that's not when this episode is airing. <laughs> anyway, when we recorded it, it was only a few days after I'm confusing myself. So anyway, I thought that was interesting. <laughs> and there are a lot of different theories. We're going to talk about those. And then, as always, we're going to give you the psychic analysis. I will tell you, I have had a psychic analysis on this plane since the day it happened. So that was why I really wanted to do this one is because mm-hmm. I've got what my hit tells me. I've had it since it happened in 2014. So I was like, oh, let's do this. Yeah, I know you do. So we're Mm -hmm. going to talk about what we think happened and, you know, we're going to get into all of that. So let me tell Mm -hmm. you the basic story. So this is Malaysia Flight 370. It's longer than that. It's MH370, um, but I'm going to make it real easy so that I don't have to say that a hundred times. It was an international passenger flight from Malaysia Airlines, and it disappeared on the 8th of March, 2014. And it was flying from Kuala Lumpur National Airport to its destination, Beijing Capital International Airport. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, most of the people, the majority of the people on the plane were from China. Uh, but then there were people from all over the world split up there. There were 239 people total on the plane, including the 12 crew members. So they were only in the air for 38 minutes when they had their last communication with their towers. Yeah. You know, they didn't, no one heard from them again after 38 minutes of takeoff. Mm-hmm. And at that time they were over the South China Sea. Mm-hmm. And then that's when the aircraft was lost from the radar screens that were there in Malaysia. Um, because their radar only goes so far, like it, you'll get to a point where you can't radar them anymore because they're too far away from you. Yeah. So then they used some military radar to track it for another hour. And during that time, it deviated pretty significantly from its flight path. Uh So it headed west from where it was supposed to be going. And it sort of took a, a right and then a left. Like it just, did some weird things on radar that you wouldn't expect a pilot to do. And they definitely were not going where they were supposed to be going. Right. 
Um, and then, so it was, so it deviated westward from its flight path and it was going across the Malay Peninsula in the Andaman Sea. And then it left that military radar, um, about 200 nautical miles northwest of the Penang Island in northwestern peninsula, peninsular Malaysia. Mm-hmm. And that was really, here, here's the thing that gets dicey about this, is that the only radar at that point that can pick it up is military radar. Mm-hmm. And countries are really um, unwilling to share their military radar because it can give away what their capabilities are. Right. So there is or where some, they had where they yeah. had potentially, you know, their own yeah. apparatuses around like their own uh, submarines or whatnot that they may not want to admit that they were there or, you know, picked up yeah. anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, some other countries shared some information, but we really, truly don't have probably all of it that we could have and put it together all in one room, basically, to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, so we know that um, it left the radar there in the Andaman Sea. It was kind of headed toward the Indian Ocean, which was totally the wrong direction of where it was supposed to be going. Right. And uh, so they start looking for this plane only about an hour after it goes missing, because obviously it's not where it's supposed to be. I'm sorry, not an hour after it goes missing, but an hour after it doesn't land in Beijing the way that it was supposed to. Yeah. So it doesn't show up. They give it an hour thinking maybe they got off course, you know, still don't show up, still no communication, nothing. And that's when, Mm -hmm. you know, an hour later, they're like, okay, this plane is missing. Something's happening. Mm -hmm. Now, as we all know, because if you were watching that poor Malaysian man who had to get up and speak on camera to the families of the people who were missing every day Mm -hmm. for like a month. Mm -hmm. The Malaysian government handled this as bad as you can possibly imagine it being handled. Yeah, they did. First of all, they held back a lot of information for several days. Mm -hmm. They refused to tell anybody anything for a while. Well, because they mishandled it in the very beginning. And they knew it. They didn't report that they had gone off of their radar yeah. until they were, should have been landing in, in Beijing. So yes. they held that information for four hours or more yeah. before they even said, Hey, uh, we're not really sure where this plane went. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So they didn't want to tell anybody anything for several days. So then they get, they bring family members of all of the people who are missing to, I think it was a hotel. And they come into the like the conference room for the daily briefing. Do you remember these briefings, Katie? Did you watch them? They were horrible. Oh horrible. my gosh! First of all, the people are absolutely devastated. These are their families missing. Yeah, and they are furious, and they send this poor man in, same guy every time, basically to tell them we have no new information. Yeah. And then the room just in a, erupts like they're gonna mm-hmm. they're they're going for this guy, right? Oh yeah. There's, so mad and so grief stricken and it happened day after day after day for like, I I think it was like 28 days or something Mm. that that went on. It was wild, but Mm -hmm. I just remember watching it on the news. Like this poor dude, (laughs) you know? Right. Oh, he wasn't flying the plane, you know, but, but yeah, he, he took a lot of the brunt of it. Yeah. So basically they start searching. Originally they search in the wrong place. 
And then they get some more information from the plane itself that, that, that helped them to see that it probably maybe crashed in the Indian Ocean. So they start looking in the Indian Ocean. Mm-hmm. Well, and they don't find anything, nothing. It's just like this plane just vanished. Yeah. And, you know, over the years, some debris has washed up in the Indian Ocean in various yeah. places that maybe kind of sort of could possibly be from this plane. Everything I have read is possibly, potentially, um, maybe likely. You know, it's never right. 100%. Yes, this was 100% from this plane. Here, Here's the thing that is really important to know. If a big giant plane like this, this was, it was a 747, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if that crashed from, you know, way high up and hits the ocean, Landing on the surface of the ocean would be the same pressure as landing on concrete. That plane should have just into 10 million pieces. Right. And when a plane crashes like that, they're not that hard to find because there's this huge crash field of stuff floating on the top of the ocean Mm -hmm. because it breaks up into all these small pieces and they don't sink. So they should have been able to just find it actually flying over, flying Mm -hmm. over the Indian Ocean in these places where they thought it was based on the last trajectory that they knew that it had. Well, there was nothing. And they looked with planes and they looked with boats and they looked for a long time. Right. They looked for, well, so they, it started in 2014. They started looking, the Malaysian government looked until 2017. Like they looked for three years. Mm-hmm. And then they, oh, and they started looking. An not astronomical only on. amount of money. Oh, oh, yeah. Spend an astronomical yeah. amount of money searching. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they failed to locate anything. They found mm-hmm. nothing. So they nothing. suspended their search in 2017. And then in January of 2018, they launched another search that was by a private contractor called Ocean Affinity. And they were also paid by the Malaysian government. Um, they searched for six months and they searched deep down at the bottom of the ocean. They sort searched something like 43,000 square miles of the ocean mm-hmm. floor in that area came up with zero, nothing yeah. found absolutely nothing. Um, if this tells you that maybe that plane was never there to begin with, <laughs> really wondering. Right. Um, so to this day, really nothing has been found that is a hundred percent confirmed to be from that plane. They found pieces from a plane that were the same kind of plane. Maybe it was this plane. Maybe it wasn't. I've never seen anybody say. Well, I have some some insight on that. Okay. What's that? So, okay. So what they found was, so right around uh, some islands around Madagascar is where they found some, some wing pieces. Uh, yes. They on Madagascar, uh, Rodriguez, I believe, Mauritius. There were like four islands right through there, or, or shores. Yeah. That Reunion pieces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they found pieces, but there's some real problems with those pieces. Now, the Malaysian government did claim that that we they found these, and that is when they were finally able to issue death certificates and life insurance claims were able to be paid for the the people on the plane. Right. All of this time, the, uh, you know, the, the insurance companies were like, well, we don't know what happened. There's no proof that these people have died. So, yeah, sorry about your bad luck. We're not paying life insurance on this. 
which come on the whole mm-hmm. plane is gone. Everyone on it is gone. Yeah. Yeah. But, and They're this not was actually, back. right. And this was actually in July of 2015 when these pieces were found. So it was a little more than a year, you know, from the yeah. time that the plane well, initially crashed or, or disappeared at any rate. Yeah. Some pieces in 2015, some pieces in 2016 and some pieces in yeah. 2017. Yes. But the, the problem with the pieces there's a few things that, uh, you know, that they, they kind of come up as a conspiracy theory, but there's some pretty good scientific proof to back up the fact that maybe these didn't come from that plane. This plane was involved in an accident on a runway in 2012 right. that just that injured the right wing. The entire right wing was removed and replaced. Well, where this uh, where it crashed in the first place, there are basically boneyards for airplane parts. And so mm-hmm. at some point, you know, if, if a whole plane or pieces of a plane are removed, they end up in one of these places. Well, the boneyard where this wing ended up was in Alice Springs, Australia. Okay, so that's important to note because yeah. the pieces that showed up on the shore were all from the right wing. So that's really odd. Convenient, isn't it? Weird, right? All yeah. from the right wing. Here's the other part problem. They were covered in barnacles. Well, in order to be covered in barnacles, it would have to be submerged. And yet these pieces were floating. And so there was some confusion about how could these be covered in barnacles unless they had broken loose from something and floated to the surface. But right, it implied they the had right wing. a part of the plane. The plane mm-hmm. then, yeah. yeah. The other problem is once they got this wing or got these pieces into a lab and tested them, they discovered that the kind of barnacles that were grown on here on the wing were from a cooler water temperature than the Indian ocean. (laughs) So had they popped up somewhere around Mauritius or Madagascar or in that area whatsoever, Mm -hmm. it would have been different barnacles. The barnacles, however, that were grown on these parts were consistent with the water temperature around where Australia. So a lot of people really dismissed that, that this was BS, you know, but it was a way for the families to get a little bit of closure, at least legally, so mm-hmm. that they could get birth certificate or death certificates and they could get life insurance paid out and those kinds of things that needed to be dealt with. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so they, they say they found parts, but it's very iffy that they actually found parts. Right, right. You know, they, they found some parts. Were they that plain? Mm. Well, they were I'm, all stamped with I'm, that plane's identification. Right. right. Conveniently, though, mm-hmm. if that plane had been repaired after its wreck, then, of course, that would yeah. still be the same. Yeah. Yeah. Because this wing did indeed belong to that plane. So yep. anyway, that I think is a really fascinating piece of the pie. It is. I just feel like the Malaysian government was absolutely desperate to bring some kind of resolution mm-hmm. to this situation. Mm-hmm. And their people are furious at them and yeah. the Chinese are furious at them. And, you know, mm-hmm. and so yeah. this was a way to at least bring it to some kind of resolution so that the families of the people who were killed could move on. Absolutely. Well, and one last little piece on that was that, so the, uh, oh, good Lord. Hmm. Well, I completely lost my train of thought. Not totally. I can't think of the right country where those pieces, uh, you know, came to the shore at Morocco. Australia. No, no, where they came to shore. 
Oh yeah, oh, it Madagascar. Was, uh, Madagascar. Good, Madagascar. Good hell. I want to say Morocco. Yeah. No reunion bad. around yeah. Saint Andre and Reunion. Okay, so the Moroccan government held on to them. Or, sorry, the Madagascar government. Good hell. All these names got me. Uh, held on to them and contacted you know the dignitaries over uh, in Malaysia and said we have these and we think they came from your plane. Yada yada. They said don't do anything with them. Just hold on to them. We're coming for them. Mm-hmm. Well, they sent a dignitary from Malaysia to get them. And before he actually could get to the headquarters where they were being held, he was killed in an assassination. Are you serious? I did mm-hmm. not know that. Mm-hmm. Oh, his, my gosh. His car and detail that was with him were all taken out. Wow. So yet again, you're like, what the hell? You know? There's so many layers to this story because now we have a political assassination. Yeah. Over and it. Why? Right. Well, and the pieces did eventually make it to the Malaysian government, but was he just in the wrong place at the wrong time? Was right. there another reason to take him out? He was the dignitary that was uh, basically in charge of relations with Madagascar. And so maybe there was another reason, but gosh, maybe. that's suspicious considering all of the circumstances of this case. Sure is. It's very suspicious. Well, and just everything about the way Malaysia handled this was just really terrible from day one. Yeah. And I feel bad for them because they're a small country. They're not a wealthy country. Yeah. I can't imagine, you know, being now responsible for the deaths of 239 people and being unable to come to some kind of resolution has got Mm -hmm. to suck in every way possible. Oh, yeah. So what we know is that 239 people are gone without a trace. Nothing mm-hmm. was ever found, even with these pieces that indicated any, there were no biological samples. There was nothing yeah. that was no. a body. And of course, if they were in fact in the ocean, you're not going to find something like that anyway. Here's the thing though. If the plane really did crash into the ocean, the only way it could have happened Well, two things. Number one is if it was in a completely different place than where they ever looked. Or Mm -hmm. number two, if the plane crashed vertically, nose down, straight into the ocean, all the way to the bottom of the ocean floor, which does not happen. It doesn't, you know, unless unless like the pilot is steering it that way, that that's just not how planes crash into the ocean. Once it gets into the water, the the water's going to take over, right? I mean, I just... Eventually, the if there's enough the water, momentum, I guess, if there's enough momentum, they could go way down, and then mm-hmm. it, that that impact on the nose of the plane doesn't break up the whole plane. So right. that's the only way that it could have gone into the ocean in that area and not mm-hmm. had all, a big debris field. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. it's also like a tremendously unlikely way for a plane that large to crash. Like, it, it's not going to happen mm-hmm. that way. But that's one thing right. that... I read is that that's possible. You know, in theory, that is possible. In theory, it is. One weird thing about uh, with that theory is that the Malaysian government, way after the fact, reported that on the very edge of the, the border of Malaysia, at the time that they lost contact with that plane, there was seismic activity on the ocean floor in a non-seismic zone. But it's not consistent with where they thought the plane would be. 
there actually right. was some weird seismic and according to the internet as well, some weird atmospheric uh, changes as well. So there was some, you know, natural shifts that were actually picked up by satellites and by, uh, you know, equipment that also are inconsistent with uh, what should have been happening there at the time. Right, right. It was just like absolutely nothing that should have been happening that day did and all kinds of stuff that shouldn't have happened that day did. Yeah. Wild stuff. So let's get into the theories mm-hmm. yeah. of, you know, and there are a lot. And of course there are a bazillion conspiracy theories around this. And oh, they yeah. started from day one mm-hmm. because no one was happy with what the Malaysian government was doing from the beginning. Right. And so there are tons of, you know, various things Mm-hmm. Um, that could have happened, um, and and nobody ever believed them because they just felt like they were just making stuff up. But let's talk mm-hmm. about some of the things. So, of course, um, in our day and age of terrorism, a lot of people really question whether or not the plane was hijacked. One of the reasons they wondered about this is because two of the passengers they discovered were using were Iranians and they were using fake passports on the plane. Uh So they got on the plane under an assumed identity from a different uh, country. I can't remember which country they said they were from, but they were from Iran. So of course, you know, because we live in such a racist world that immediately said to people, terrorism, they hijacked the plane. You know, there are a lot of reasons to have a fake passport. And of course it's not something I know personally about, but there could have been many reasons why those people were were traveling that way. There was no actual evidence like in learning about them and learning about their histories that indicated they were in any way terrorists. But some people really hung on to that only just because of the country they were from and because they were using a fake passport. But they mm-hmm. never proved anything. No. That looked, but, but so the speculation was that the hijackers took the plane to a remote island. Mm-hmm. Um no one's ever claimed responsibility for that. Uh, you would think at some point then they would find them or their bodies or something, but nothing has ever been found that would support that. Right. And and why would you just take a plane full of 239 people to another island and then never be heard from again? Right. Like the whole point would be to instill terror. So wouldn't there then be, you know, videos uploaded of, you know, give us a billion dollars and we'll release your people. You know, I mean, there's going to be something there's a, there would be a reason for it that they didn't, n- none of that ever happened. So yeah. I really don't think that that's very likely mm-hmm. um, simply because I think by this point there would have been something, somebody would have taken credit for it, blamed it on right. something, you know, the kinds of things that always happen with stuff like this. Right. But so I, I pretty easily rule that one out. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but also the pilot didn't say shit, you know, no, he didn't say didn't, anything that indicated no. there was a problem in any way. When he could have pushed a button that set off a distress signal. He didn't do it. Nothing. Right. Yeah. There was no. absolutely no physical indication that there was anything wrong. And if there was, you know, terrorism aboard the, you know, and maybe, maybe it all would have happened just so damn fast, but no flotsam. I mean, no, nothing to indicate that the plane blew up, just nothing at all. Well, oh, oh, if they blew it up, but of course, yeah, if they if were they to blew it up. hijack there, the plane, yeah, he, he, there was nothing to indicate yeah. that any of that had happened. No, and you would think, even in a hijacking, they could have pushed the button, you know, this mm-hmm. is distress signal, right? 
So that didn't happen. So then some people wondered about an electronic hijacking. And this has been a big fear in aviation for a while now, this idea that you could cyber attack and hack into a plane system and take hold of the controls of the plane. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there, so there's been a lot of worry about that, but again, Mm -hmm. if that's what happened, where did they take the plane? What was the purpose of it? Why have we heard nothing for six years? And why has it never happened again? Yeah. Yeah. It could have easily. There's been plenty of dignitaries on planes since then that somebody might want to see taken out. It's never happened again. Around this time, I remember a bunch of news stories about how it, it had become apparent that planes were actually very vulnerable to being electronically hijacked. They were not actually protected. Mm-hmm. And I think there is better protection in place now. But for a long time, mm-hmm. people could have easily hacked into a plane. And and no one had ever even considered it might happen. Mm-hmm. And around the time that this plane, that this happened, then they said, well, maybe we should maybe do something a little about it. Ah, wow. Well. Silver linings, okay. Right. Well, (laughs) Millennium Flight 370 going missing actually changed a lot of things in the aviation industry. Mm -hmm. They changed um, how long the batteries last in the black box. Uh They changed um, the recording requirements in the cockpit of the pilot. They and I, you know, they looked into this electronic hijacking possibility. There were a bunch of things like that Mm -hmm. that actually have improved in the aviation industry because of this plane even though we don't know if any of those things were true. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting. <laughs> well, uh, we did a, attack the theories head on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then there was the idea that maybe the satellite data was spoofed. So maybe the plane was never where they said it was. Maybe it was fake, fake um, data from day one. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. If that was true, where's the plane? Where are the people, you know, yeah. like, what was the purpose of taking these people if you never hear from them again or hear from their kidnappers again? Right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So seems unlikely. Um, although some people say there were a lot of weird, there's a lot of weird satellite data on this plane. Mm-hmm. And I have some theories around that too. Uh, mm-hmm. So there are some pings on it in different places where it shouldn't have been. And there's a lot of stuff about it that there are questions, but mm-hmm. we've never been able to prove that it was actually spoofed. Right. No. So, of course, no, people at then, least that, uh, again, at least that governments were willing to share, you know, because, again, we're relying a lot on military assistance from around the world, you know, from, from various satellites that may or may not have been shared or shared correctly. Yeah. And I think that's part of the reason that we'll really never know is because, um, you know, countries are protecting their own national security and they're not willing to give it up for the, this yeah. story, mm-hmm. which and on one hand, I understand. On another, I think is really sad Yeah, because, you know, the families of these people will probably never know what happened to them. And that is not OK. Yeah. 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 Entirely. Yeah. So, of course, then, you know, the terrorists, not just a hijacking, but a terrorist plot it may mm-hmm. be a jihadist, maybe, um, you know, a bin Laden style attack of some sort with the plane. They think maybe it was hidden. You know, these the f- folks that believe this think maybe they took it and hid it, hid the plane, like flew it to northern Pakistan and hid it somewhere. Um, this is just another conspiracy theory. There is no right. proof at all that this happened. No. And if it did, 
it's been six years. You know, the, the thing about terrorists is they really like taking credit for things. They want you to know they did it. Mm-hmm. And so this doesn't, it right. terrorism no makes no it. sense because nothing's ever been um, proven. Right, right. No, and there's really nothing you can say about that. You know, I mean, it's so easy to go to terrorism, you know, because of stuff we've seen. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it was. Yeah. No, and, and you know, there's some pretty common characteristics to a terrorist attack, and this doesn't have them. Right. Really at all. Um, there have been a lot of stories circulating around that North Korea hijacked this plane. Mm-hmm. Because um, apparently, oh, they hijacked a plane in 1969 that was a Korean Airlines plane. Mm-hmm. Um, because the plane had a lot of fuel on it. That was one thing. It had a lot of fuel because mm-hmm. it was going a long ways, which means it could have gone to a lot of places on the planet. Right. Um, now, there was also the idea that the U.S. had shot it down mm-hmm. because it was allegedly carrying a nuclear warhead to North Korea. So there was some idea that North Korea had hijacked it, that they have a a, a nuclear warhead on it. So the U S shot it down again, if that's true, where is it? You know, like, right. And, and I think, um, the wisdom of shooting down a plane that has a nuclear warhead in it is yeah. not real solid. Um, I kind yeah. of don't think, you know, I think you would be more likely to try to divert it or, you know, mm-hmm. different things rather than shoot it down because if it explodes, yeah. Uh, boom, nuclear disaster. And we didn't have a nuclear right. disaster in 2014, so I don't think that one's true. Right. Yeah, me neither. Well, there's also the weirdness of the pilot. The pilot yes. had done a bunch of weird shit just leading up to this. So the pilot's name was Zahari Ahmad Shaw. And Shaw had, uh, he'd been a pilot since like the early 1980s. He had nothing but, you know, glowing reports. He had a happy family. Like he had a very normal life, Mm -hmm. which, you know, is great. But uh, very, very before, really struggling with words today for some reason, but very near before, very near before and sometime uh, leading up to, (laughs) Shaw got really weird at home. So he had built a homemade uh, flying device that he had been practicing with at home in his basement and his wife had reported that uh you know leading up to this event for the last uh, little while before then like the last month or so he had gotten extremely angry and withdrawn and he was spending all of his time in the basement working on this thing this fight flight simulator that he had built and he she had tried to go to marriage counseling she had tried to you know help him because something seemed to be really wrong and things had been really good up until this point. And, and and, uh, three days before this plane disappeared, she and the kids moved out of their house because it was so bad. And so there's a lot of speculation about what was he doing with the flight simulator? A bunch of the data when they got a hold of it, what had been erased Mm -hmm. and they didn't recover all of it, but uh, it did look like he had been simulating flights over the Indian ocean. But he did fly over the Indian Ocean. You know, right. this was a commercial pilot. He flew all over the place. And so, you yes, can't so go, that well, that's that not a smoking gun per se, because, no. that, yeah, it's not weird. But it he got weird. And that's really interesting. I think it's an interesting part of this uh, this case is what happened to him. Who yeah, was in his why? ear 
what was going on or is it just yet another coincidence of this case? Right. That's the thing. There's so many things that happened that couldn't, could truly have nothing to do with the outcome. Mm-hmm. Or maybe well, and the, the co-pilot, this was like his last flight as a co-pilot before oh, right. he earned his wings. He was like this close to being a full-fledged pilot on his own. He'd gone through all of the training, all of the prerequisites, all of the flights that he needed to be on. This was the last one, and he was going to be a a full-fledged pilot. Yeah, yeah. So very sad for him. And just, again, like, you go, why, you know? Yeah, yeah. So then there's another one. So some of the people on the plane were employees of um, a company called Freescale Semiconductor. And there's questions about, did they kidnap them for these people because of information that they knew? Um, There's also some questions about a patent that was supposedly, I don't know if it's totally true or not. Um, There's really no evidence that this happened, but there are a lot of people who do do believe it did, who say they do have evidence, Mm -hmm. that they had filed for a patent in their names of a semi, of this integrated circuits on a semiconductor wafer. And that patent went through with their names on it the day after the plane disappeared. And so there wow. was some thought that they they were involved in some way or um, that someone kidnapped them because of what right. they knew how to build. But okay, then where are they? Where are, where's the plane? Where's the people? You know, every single right. one of these doesn't really answer the question because... We still know nothing. Right. And there were. But also people from these organizations flew every day. Right. You know? Yeah. This flew unusual. every day. There they were 22 were employees from Freescale were on that plane. Yeah. Yeah. And so why now? Yeah. And so one of the things that they were working on was to use a special kind of paint and electronics that would enable a traditional aircraft to turn into a stealth aircraft. Ooh. So it's just kind of weird. Like this plane disappears. They were on the plane. They're helping build this technology. Maybe it means nothing. And maybe, maybe it does. I don't know. So um, that's another one. Let's see. I'm going to share a couple more. And then I think we'll do um, the psychic analysis. And we'll tell you what we think happened based on, you know, what we feel and what our gifts are. Um, there's the Diego Garcia conspiracy. So, um, some people suggest that, uh, the plane was captured by the United States and then flown to the United States military base on the atoll of Diego Garcia in the British Indian Ocean Territory. So, um, that the plane was landed on that base. This um, theory actually came up at a White House briefing on the 18th of March. Remember when we used to have those, you know, a long time ago? (laughs) (laughs) Press Secretary Jay Carney at the time said he ruled that one out, uh, that it absolutely didn't happen, that the the U.S. didn't have anything to do with it. Um, which, Which for once I actually believe is true. I think so, but there's a lot of question about it. The FBI investigated it. Um, mm-hmm. because there was a lot, I, I don't know. Well, and there were it's Americans community. on the plane. Right. And there you were, you know, Americans I mean, the U S was invested because there were Americans on the plane. Yeah. 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 So they, in 2018, somebody thought they found the plane in Cambodia. It wasn't the plane. It was a plane that was very similar, but it was not this plane. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Some people said that all the passengers are alive, but they cannot answer their cell phones. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, and of course, there's, you know, questions about was this a suicide by on the part of the um, pilot? You know, and you remember that, wasn't it? Was it a German plane? Yeah, it wasn't that long after. Not yeah. that long after where the pilot did commit suicide and just flew the plane into the side of a mountain and killed himself and all the people on it. So there were questions after that about that. But, you know, then we just get into just it gets wilder and wilder and wilder. And the hard part of it is that we don't have any proof of anything. Some right. people, there's questions about whether or not the plane um, started on fire and, and lit on fire in the air. But again, it would have landed somewhere with a giant debris field. And where is that debris field? You know, it wouldn't have burned completely in the air. Mm -hmm. Some people have wondered about it being shot down, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But again, where is it? You know, we've had that happen recently, a Russian plane. And that didn't happen, you know, we knew immediately. Right. Like a big mm -hmm. plane like that goes down, you know. Right. Um, and then, of course, the other one was the vertical entry into the sea, which I already talked mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. um, which also is very unlikely to have happened just because planes like this wouldn't have been able to um, go straight down like that. And why right. would you? Why would you? So yeah. those are the theories. Do you have anything to add to that? No, I think we covered all of them. Well, no, we definitely didn't, but we covered a yeah. lot of them. So. Covered a lot of them. I mean, there's only so much you can do. Like after a while, I'm like, okay, first of all, none of these are true because we can't prove them. jump into the psychic analysis and talk about intuitively because you and I both had a lot of hits about this plane when it happened in 2014 yeah. was one reason why I really wanted to cover it because it's interesting and also because 239 people died or are dis okay died disappeared whatever mm -hmm. they're gone Avenged. and yeah. and so it's a very um, I think it's a very important case to just sort of keep your eye on because you think about how many people out there in the world are living with the fact that they lost loved ones on this plane and they will potentially yeah. never know what happened to them. Yeah, That's a terrible feeling. I cannot imagine mm -hmm. what that must be like. Um, and so it does kind of keep this, uh, this incident in my mind thinking about those folks. So yeah, let's, let's go sure. with you first. What is your, what is your psychic analysis of this situation? Okay. So, <laughs> and it's a mind bender for me. I, I'm going to tell you that it is because uh, this is this is pretty out there even for a guy like myself. But mm -hmm. I believe that somehow, some way, wrong place, wrong time, maybe that this plane ended up in another dimension. And, and I say that because there's a few things that give me, I, I mean, I've been saying that for years, but I say it now, even in a little more research today and looking at the uh, strange seismic activity and atmospheric activity, mm -hmm. knowing everything else, you know, about this case and, and it, what I've always thought happened was that this plane somehow managed to slip into another portal, another place. Now, I know that, you know, for someone, if you're not, if this isn't a theory that you've ever heard before for this or another, it, that's a big mind bender, but there's a lot of uh, cultures that have believed uh, there's a lot of people that believe that there are multiple layers of dimensions right here where we are mm -hmm. that we're sharing space and that occasionally something passes from one dimension to another uh, you know uh, the Bigfoot or the Yetis are a really good example of that 
Yeah. But, um, but I'll tell you another example that might help kind of help you feel this a little more. And mm-hmm. that's years ago, I had a client who had uh, a pasture, basically a fenced in pasture near her, right by her home that they had two uh, domesticated deer in. So two domesticated deer that they fed every day, they pet, they loved on, they were like dogs, you know, they'd go out there with their grain and feed them and they were adorable, right? Mm-hmm. Well, one day she heard screaming going on in the pasture and deer scream. Deer will Ooh. scream when they're injured or they're afraid and it is a haunting sound. Yeah. So she could hear screaming and she went out to the pasture and both of the deer were running frantically like something was chasing them, but she couldn't see anything. And no shit out of nowhere. One of those deer just disappeared, vanished, gone. Yeah. And they were heartbroken and they searched the pasture. But I mean, this was like a half an acre. It wasn't a big piece of land and, and it no. was fenced in. They searched and searched. She never came back. The other deer was so freaked out that she hid in the corner of that pasture for days. She didn't eat. They finally coaxed her back, you know, up to where they could get to her and feed her and, you know, to, to help her start recovering. And about six days later, she walked down to the pasture one morning and the other deer was back. Just back. She was injured. She had some like large slash marks down her side and was really, really scared and skittish. And it took a month to get her back to being friendly with them and, you know, being okay. Yeah. But that deer went somewhere. She literally disappeared. Wow. So anyway, to me, that is one of those instances where obviously something had slipped from one dimension into another that chased that deer around. Now, the fact that she came back, I, I didn't really believe she would. I figured she was lost, gone forever. Yeah. And yet she came back. So she must have, uh, I don't know how that happened. I'm not even going to conjecture on it, but, but yeah, found a way. Yeah. Found that probably that same hole that uh, whatever came to her got through in the first place. But the theory of multiple dimensions is I think very, uh, you know, compelling. And and that is my opinion that that plane slipped through another dimension. Do I think that those people are alive somewhere else? I don't, I think that plane slipped into another dimension and crashed. Yeah. I just think we'll we'll never find the debris. No, that's my opinion. Okay. So mine is very similar, but I want to add in another element that I do believe happened. One of the other theories around this plane is that there was a hypoxic event on the plane in which they lost oxygen or another gas got into the air in the plane. And and some of the things that I've read is that certain hypoxic events can have no alarm and it just happens mm-hmm. slowly where everyone just sort of gets sleepy and falls asleep. Ooh. I feel like that happened first. That happened at that time when it started sort of going in weird directions and the plane was off course. Mm -hmm. I feel like there was a hypoxic event on the plane first. Mm -hmm. I feel like it killed everyone on board, including the the pilot. I think they were dead before they ever disappeared. That that happened. And then, yes. So one thing you have to know is that in, in all of the paranormal work that Katie and I have done over the years, we have done a lot of work with portals. And portals are openings from this dimension to another dimension. Mm -hmm. And when we say dimensions, we're not talking about different places. We're talking about different levels of vibration. 
So mm-hmm. we live in what's called the third dimension, 3D reality. And, mm-hmm. and we know from there are scientific studies that can prove that the fourth and the fifth and the sixth exist. They exist, yeah. but they vibrate above what we can perceive. Yeah. And um, so in those different dimensions, there are portals or doorways that allow certain entities and energies to come and go. It's why you know, a loved one who's crossed over can come back and visit sometimes. It's why sometimes I can hear my grandma who died say my name, you know, stuff like that. Um, <laughs> we've worked with portals a lot in in homes because portals are really problematic in homes. You know, they'll allow various entities to come and go from somebody's house and then they have all kinds of paranormal activity in the house and it can be very upsetting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've worked many times in houses where children won't sleep in their bed, won't sleep oh, in yeah. their bedroom because there's a portal in the room. When mm-hmm. there's a portal around, it, the temperature changes. So in the room with a portal, the room will be cold all the time. No matter what you do, um, there is it's like there's this weird breeze in the room. You don't necessarily feel a breeze, but you feel the coolness of it. The mm-hmm. change in vibration happens. Yeah. So we've cleared, we've closed portals. We've sent things back through portals. We've moved mm-hmm. portals. We've done all of those things. We've never seen a portal on the scale of this portal, but this is something that's out in the middle of the ocean. How would we know? You know. Well, I mean, think Bermuda Triangle. Exactly. Maybe we have. Right. Yeah. yeah. Bermuda Triangle is a good example of a portal. Mm-hmm. There is a portal there. There are yeah. portals in lots of places on the planet. I feel like that plane had a hypoxic event. Everybody went to sleep and didn't wake up. And then in it going off course, slid through a portal into another dimension and is just truly gone. And I really do. I remember because I um I read everything in energy. I read people's energy bodies. And Mm -hmm. so what I started trying to do was read the energy around the people, because even if they'd passed away, there was still going to be an energy signature around their bodies. Their souls Mm -hmm. were going to be around somewhere. There's nothing that I can perceive. And I have been reading people's energy bodies for two decades. I have thousands of clients of experience Mm -hmm. with this, whether they are dead or alive or in the process of passing away. Right. And there's always an energy signature that I can perceive. And when it comes oh, yeah. to folks on this plane, on the day that they disappeared, there was nothing. 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 Yeah. I could feel nothing from anyone on that plane. Mm-hmm. Me too. I, I had tried some mediumship thinking, well, maybe it's as easy as tapping into someone who was on the plane. Yeah. I got nothing. No. Nothing at all. You can't, you, you couldn't tap into anyone on the plane. You no. couldn't feel them. It was as though they literally mm-hmm. vanished. And and on the energy plane, that just doesn't happen. I mean, no matter right. where a person's at, whether they're in a body or not, there's always an energy signature that you can find. Yeah, there's nothing with these mm-hmm. guys. And and so that is my psychic um, evaluation of this assessment. Mm-hmm. That, um, analysis. What's the word? What do we call this? Psychic analysis. Psychic analysis. <laughs> that, yeah. That's what happened. That there and it was one of those crazy combinations of sort of unrelated events that came together to cause this. But I do think they died of some kind of a, a noxious gas, something in the, in the cockpit, in the cabin and cockpit. Yeah. And then yeah. went way off course and slipped through that portal and disappeared. And I, I, I fully believe that we will not ever hear from them again in any way. Oh, yeah, we'll never see any actual proof that this plane exists. I don't think we'll see any of it. Mm-hmm. 
Because it literally doesn't exist on the plane that we exist on. Right. Yeah. This will this will continue to be an unsolved mystery for time immemorial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I totally with you there. Well, I I really like your theory. I think that there it holds a lot of weight. It really helps explain why things got weird and off course before they disappeared. And why there was just crickets from the pilot, you know, and that there was no distress right. call of any kind because he was perhaps not conscious. Right, right. My sense of it is also that they didn't die violently. They didn't die painfully, you know, mm-hmm. that they just went to sleep and didn't wake up. And I've always, I felt really um, peaceful about that, even from the very beginning. And people were horrified. Mm-hmm. Like, what if they, you know, crashed in the ocean and some of them were still alive and, you know, and right. died in all yeah. these terrible ways. I don't have that impression at all. Mm-mm. No, no, it never felt that way. It never, well, and it never felt like there was, there needed to be a big panic, you know, because mm-hmm. I mean, there's an earthquake, like when there was an earthquake in Haiti for 10 days, I still felt like there are people alive that have got to be found and they yeah. were searching, you know, yeah. but in this case, it never felt like that. No, no, it was from the moment one, they weren't going to find anything and they were not going to find anyone alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that occasionally when there are missing persons that this is the case? Yes, I do. Yeah, mm-hmm. I do as well. And and I think that's kind of uh, terrifying, you know, because how do you not slip through a portal on accident? Have you, have you, ever, done, have you ever done the research on how many people are missing in the United States at any one time? Oh, yeah. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, lots mm-hmm. of them are dead. Lots of them walked yeah. away from a situation, mm-hmm. went to another country, mm-hmm. but there are many who, yeah, mm-hmm. they walked through something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, here's the reality. You can open a portal. We can open a portal. There are ways to oh, do yeah. it. We know how to do it. We don't recommend it, but we know how to do it, yeah. which tells me that a portal can be opened from another dimension into ours, just like we can open sure. one into that. And so mm-hmm. that's when I think that sometimes people walk through something that didn't exist here to begin with was opened and then closed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily intentionally. I don't mean that like people and other, you know, spirits and other dimensions are stealing humans or anything. I don't think so. I think it's generally just a total accident that things yeah. like this happen. Mm-hmm. Well, that may explain why sometimes people have disappeared. And when they came back, when they showed back up, they were in a very unexpected place. Mm-hmm. Or they were speaking didn't a different remember. language, didn't remember speaking yeah. a different language, doing something completely different. There's a lot of weird stuff. And we probably ought to do a whole show on that at some point. We but, could. We surely But could. I like it. But, you know, when you were talking about the, the hypoxic event, I was thinking about something that happened to us when we were kids. Yes. When we were kids, our dad was a hunter. And we, you know, as kids, we got drug around on a lot of hunting and fishing adventures. We didn't have any brothers, any living brothers. and so. We had this dad who wanted to, you know, do all of this stuff that, you know, our mom didn't really want to do. (laughs) So, but we'd get drug along on these adventures. And one time when we were little girls, we, that we were going to go hunting for a whole day and he had a pickup that he put a camper shell on and put a mattress in the back thinking that we could chill out back there. We could play games. We, maybe it would be fun. Right. Well, um, it wasn't fun, but no, what happened driving was over the, mountains, <laughs> driving over mountains all day. And in hindsight, I'm like, what would have happened if he shot a deer? 
because uh, we were in the back of the pickup <laughs> on a mattress. So where was the deer going to go? But Gross. I don't even want to think about that right now. Our dad was very, uh, totally. he was very industrious. He could have done mm-hmm. anything with it. Yeah, he would have figured something out. That hopefully didn't include a dead deer in the back with us because I'm horrified to even uh, think yeah. about it, but that's another story. But anyway, we had been driving around for a long time. They stopped the truck, got us out, and we were dizzy, disoriented, throwing up. Our little poodle fainting, had been in the back, falling fainting, down. falling down. I, they were probably like, what the hell? You know, because sure. we were totally disoriented. Even our little poodle that had been in the back with us was falling down throwing up. And what they discovered was that the tailpipe of the truck had been bent by going over some kind of a rock or something. We were pretty much off road at that point. Mm -hmm. And we were being gassed with the exhaust of the pickup was uh, just blowing right into that, you know, the, 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 the camper cab of, or the camper of the truck into the camper shell. Yeah. And so of course uh, we got up front at that point and, you know, I think our parents had a pretty good fight about it. But oh my gosh, you know. they were so scared. And they got yeah, our it was... family doctor on the phone. They got to a phone and got our family doctor on the phone. Mm-hmm. He said, as long as we were conscious, you know, to not let us fall asleep and that we would be okay. Yeah. Yeah. But it was very scary. But it was, I, I can think of that feeling yeah. of feeling so sleepy. Yes. Just so sleepy. It was hard to want to stay awake. They got us into the cab of the truck and we're basically, you know, shaking us yelling at us, you know, trying to keep us awake, you know, for obvious reasons. But so that idea of just, you know, kind of gradually getting gassed and just drifting off to sleep, that feels so familiar to me. It does me too. It's one reason why that's what I knew what happened because I know what that feels like. Yeah. And I meet, I immediately had that hit. And then I went, when this happened, and then I remember hearing one of the theories was a, a, a hypoxic incident. And I went, well, that's exactly what it is. I know, I know that feeling. And they would have all, because you just don't really know what's happening. You just sort of fall, mm-hmm. you know, and you're not conscious enough to be aware that something is wrong. Mm-hmm. We had no idea something was wrong until they got us out of the back of the pickup. Right. Remember they so opened when- the tailgate and had a hard time waking us up and they yeah. kept yelling at us to get up. What are you doing? What's mm-hmm. the matter? Get out of here, you know, and mm-hmm. get up. We just couldn't. And they had mm-hmm. to help us get out. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I will never forget. And in fact, even now, I mean, I'm 42. So what? That was probably 35 years ago or more. The smell of exhaust will, it triggers me. It's still, you know, it just, it gets to me. And I know that's why. I get lightheaded in a stomach ache just smelling it. Like, yeah, yeah. So just to circle back for just a minute, I just want to ask you. So on that note, the weirdness with the pilot, was he just in a depression? Was this just a... Was it just a coincidence, do you think? I do think so. I feel like yeah. he was depressed. I feel like he was really struggling and yeah. he got really, um, really obsessive about something. And that's what was going on with the flight simulator. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to look back on it now and go, something was wrong with that dude. But I think mm-hmm. there was, but I don't think it had anything to do with the actual accident. Uh-huh. Me too. I think that he had built, because this was a homemade flight simulator. I think that he was trying to build something that he could sell. I think he was trying to create a product, basically. Mm -hmm. Maybe he was just tired of being at the income level he was, or he was tired of being a pilot, maybe. But he was building something that I think he was hoping to like patent and sell and, and, you know, have it be like income. You know, this was something he was like very down the rabbit hole with, but yeah, obsessive, I, I think for sure. But I think yeah. he, his initial thought was that 
he was really trying to create something. I think he was a genius, you know, the mm-hmm. genius that could get. I also kind of felt like when his wife, uh, you know, had claimed that they were a really happy family and they'd never had issues before, that that wasn't really true. Yeah, no. I, I, I kind of thought it doesn't resonate with me as that's true. I think that they have had some very hard times. Mm-hmm. This is maybe the hardest, you know, perhaps, but I felt like, no, nah, they've struggled in the past. Well, you know, there's all kinds of rules and regulations around pilots and their health and their mental health. And I imagine she would have been very hesitant to disclose anything because she knew, you know, because of course the first person to get blamed for something like this is the pilot. And so the, the, um, you know, intention to defend and the instinct to defend is certainly there. Sure. Sure. Well, and just judging by his character, his coworkers said, if anything, he would have been the hero of this story. Yeah. Like he would have fought to save his passengers. He was a good man. He was an excellent pilot. Like he wouldn't have been involved in something that caused this. Yeah. And that resonated with me too. Mm-hmm. That it that was true. Do. And I just don't feel any energy around that there was a fight to begin with. I just don't feel like there was. No. Mm-mm. This was a very peaceful event on their end. I mean, obviously it wasn't on ours mm-hmm. and on, yeah. the, on the side of their families, but mm-hmm. um, I feel like for them, it was a very peaceful event. It was not a traumatic event. There's no trauma energy around it. No, no. Well, peace to their families. Yes, most definitely. You know, and I, I wish I could say that, you know, they'll, that these theories will be proven and that they'll have some peace, but I really don't think they will. Um, you know, six years later, I'm sure that they're just trying to move on and live their lives, you know, but, but not knowing is, is crappy. That's not okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is very unfortunate. Yeah. Wow. What do you say? Well, I say, I think we've done it. So this has been Malaysia Flight 370 here on True Crime Paranormal. Just a reminder, you can find our discussion group on Facebook, True Crime Paranormal Discussion Group. You can find us on YouTube. We're True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters on YouTube. And uh, so you have plenty of opportunities to listen to the podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms or to watch it on YouTube. So we encourage you to do that. Uh, We also want to remind you that we are on Patreon. And so if you like what we're doing and you want Mm -hmm. to support our work, go to uh, patreon.com slash true crime paranormal and you will find us there. And there are ways to support us with with um, small uh, dollar amounts to become a patron. And for that, you get some free content and extra exclusive stuff that that not everyone gets. So it's kind of a fun way to support our work and get some extra stuff if you have become a um, true crime paranormal aficionado. That's right. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, all right. That's our story. And we're sticking to it. (laughs) That's right. We'll, We'll be back next week. Yes, we will. Bye. Bye, guys. True Crime Paranormal is hosted by Katie Weaver and Christy Brower and produced by Christy Brower. True Crime Paranormal is a short girl productions podcast.